Hello, and welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. Your host, Crystal, isn't with us today. I'm Cameron, and with me is Monica. Hello. Today, we're going to be recording a bit of a buffer episode. We don't know exactly when it's going up, and Crystal's not here because her little bit of extra free time didn't line up with our little bit of extra free time, so we just thought we'd do a little bit of something in case it needs to go up at some point. It's our backup. It's a backup. It's a backup emergency plan in case we fuck up real bad, so here we are, and we're recording the thing, and uh, we don't really have any plans for what to talk about. We can't just turn into a thing. It's like, oh, this is what I was doing in the past month, or here's the game that I've been playing. We're not going to be talking for the next hour or so about Octopath Traveler or something. Or Guinevere. Or Guinevere. The text adventure. The text adventure that you've been playing through a few different times for multiple chapters. For the past week. Yes. And change. Or Pode. We did just play Pode. Pode's really cute. Pode's a good game, but we're not going to talk about it because this podcast is about the Legend of Zelda and the lore thereof. And that's what we're going to talk about because that's what you just do on these podcasts. You talk about the subject that it's supposed to be. So here we are. Now... One thing that I did do before going into this episode was set up a place for listeners to submit questions to us. So we're going to be looking at us some questions and answering them. So this is kind of a mailbag episode, but kind of not because we're not actually reading anything from the emails. Oh, I can ask you, Cam. Uh-huh. Where can people send us questions? You can send questions to the Book of Medora email. Podcast at gmail.com. That is Podcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, shorter questions can be sent to myself, at Cam Writer, on Twitter, or on Twitter to Crystal, at Arcane Crystal. So I think that we've got about that covered, and that does all the good things. And we've done the intro, we've done the intro to the emails. Well, not the emails. We're not reading emails. Emails are sent to the three of us, so it's not just going to be us two going through emails, because they're all written with the assumption Crystal might be here. Take a breath. No, I can keep this up all day. As long as my breathing sounds don't come through too clearly on the microphone, I'm not worried about it. Now, we are going to start in on the first question, which is sent in by friend of the show, Jordan. And Jordan writes in, What's the worst part about the canon Nintendo explanation of the Zelda timeline? Mmm, that's a doozy. (laughs) Yeah, Monica, I'm very curious to get your answer on this one. I think the definite worst one is that Majora's Mask is a dream. Oh, okay. So we're including the... Uh, the encyclopedia in, Yeah, the encyclopedia timeline. here. Because that definitely... We went back and checked. That's not in the Historia. Right. But it, Majora's Mask is a dream of... Skull Kid. Skull Kid. Where Termina is like an uh, externalization of... You know, feelings and memories of people, which is why it's all like a twisted version of Hyrule. Is it Essie's dying, or did I just insert that? I think you just inserted that with the little matchmaker, the match y- girl. Y- yes, the matchsticks girl. <laughs> Only it's not that because this isn't that story. Um, but yes, this Termina is like a space that he projected himself into, Clock Town, and the different kingdoms, and all the inhabitants are inventions of Skull Kid, and you don't like that. Who puts themselves as the, not even the antagonist of the, their own story or dream, but the puppet? 
Well, that's very interesting too because it's only created through the power of Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask is real. Some part of the backstory of Termina is still real. It's not a pretend place. It's Oh, really? Yes, it can't be because that mask had to come from somewhere, right? I know, I thought the entire, entire thing, including the encounter with Link, was just dreamed. No. No, no, no. It's not the events of the game that is dreamed. It is the inhabitants of Termina. So Link experiences Skull Kid's dream. Yes, essentially. It is a space created by Skull Kid. Not dissimilar to, say, the island of Koholint. So it's like that episode of Justice League where that kid from the 60s got caught in the nuclear fallout and then dreams of his superheroes, the comic book superheroes. The Justice League of... No, what was the original version of it called? It's not the Justice Justice League. Friends? The ju- yeah, it's the it's like the Super Friends, but it's like the old school version of the Justice League of America. Is it like that? Uh, yeah, it's almost exactly like that episode of Justice League. Was that just Justice League or was that Justice League Unlimited? I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know either. I feel like one of the other podcasts on Audio Entropy would, would tell us. Yeah, if only we could ring up... Uh, all along the watchtower and give them an ask, they'd be able to tell us. I think it was just Justice League. Or it was one of those bridge episodes. It only had the main six, so I guess it was Justice League. Yeah, that would make sense. Anyway, yeah, it's a lot like that, where he's projecting all these people who don't exist outside of himself, but the mask is still real. It's what gives him the power to do all of this in the first place, which means that all the things that Link goes through are still real as experiences. But that also has its own troubling implications because Link is experiencing things through a dream. One of the things that we really enjoyed about Majora's Mask in particular is how it frames Link, how he helps the people around him, how he takes all of that suffering and uses it to transform himself. But in the interpretation where all of this is an externalization of Skull Kid's psyche, that reading doesn't work, and it reduces Link's character as much as it does everyone else in the game. Yes, but it is also a really weird thing to take one of the games where the the side characters, the NPCs, have such... Depth? Depth, yeah, personal depth. And richness. And their own concerns and woes that you know overshadow the ending of the world. They do that to that game. Yeah, they they take the game that has what is undoubtedly the richest set of personal texture and decide to say that that's not really a thing or that rather it only reflected the personal texture of one person, the dreamer. And that doesn't really work for a game that goes in as hard for its characterization as Majora's Mask does. Link's Awakening does something kind of similar with everyone on Koholint being a dream of the Windfish, but Marin becomes more than a dream over time. Nobody does that in Majora's Mask. And nobody else on Koholint has much depth. Yeah, they're, really. they're all like cartoon characters who have no sense of place or time or anything. Mm-hmm. They're like wandering figments, much less realized. So is your answer the same? 
You know, I was getting prepared to talk about how I don't look down on the quote-unquote official Nintendo version of the canon because it takes a lot of work to make these things and, you know, any fan interpretation because it's still a fan work, essentially, even if Nintendo's giving them money for it. This is the same kind of collaborative, uh, transformative work that you and I and Crystal are doing when we report, record this podcast, and I respect the work that they put into it. But yeah, that thing with Majora's Mask fucking sucks. Ain't nothing good. I'd say the second thing I dislike the most, because I, I openly hate... Yeah, you don't like... That Nintendo canon, it stinks, but... No, I mean I'm much more of a hater than you are. Oh, okay. Um, the second most... Uh, the second worst thing I dislike is the placement of Four Swords Adventures on the child timeline. Uh-huh. In the Hyrule Historia. Yeah. Meaning that after Twilight Princess and the mirror is shattered. Oh, the mirror's still there. That's straight like that's actually a kind of plot hole, isn't it? No, I mean, I assume it's a different mirror. Okay, it's a different mirror. But also, that's just the Twily, though. Yes, but the Twily then must be the shadow links that break out of the super evil realm. Uh-huh, which is a super evil realm, to be very clear. <laughs> and so they've sort of... Um, I don't know how they got there. They, 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 they worsened. They became bad. And that's terrible. It means that your work in saving them from the influence of Ganon amounted to nothing. Yes, and all of Midna's efforts to cut her people off. All of her attempts to protect them from the influences of the devil who lives in Hyrule. And it all came to nothing. Yeah, that also fucking sucks as a reading. If I was a much bigger fan... You know what? I really love Twilight Princess, and I like a lot of things about how it resolves certain aspects of its setting. So yeah, that fucking sucks too, now that you mention it. That's no good. But I'll say the thing that I dislike most about the particulars, outside of the whole Majora's Mask being invalidated as a personal journey for more than one person thing, or the whole thing where uh, nothing in Four Swords Adventures gels with Twilight Princess except to make that game not matter... The thing that I dislike so far in the official Zelda canon is that they refuse to tell us where Breath of the Wild is supposed to be. They could have put put that in the encyclopedia. That they is, could have. They could have. When did the encyclopedia come out in the in Japanese? I well, you know what? We could find out. It was originally published in June of 2018, which means it was most likely finalized before the game came out, at least textually speaking. But if they wanted to, they still could have gone back and, you know, put some stuff in. Or as a prelude Wait a minute. To... No. No. That was a year later. That was 15 months. Can you double check that original publish? Because it might mean English. The original release date in Japan was March 1st of 2017, so two days before Breath of the Wild came out. All right, they come under the wire for this one. (laughs) But I think they 
must have had enough information. They could have posted a teaser and had that as a lead-in to Breath of the Wild. What makes you say that? The tons and tons and tons of concept art that they shoved in from Breath of the Wild? Yeah. Well, I mean, they couldn't have placed it on the timeline without having spoilers out a couple of days before the game released. It didn't have to be anything major. I mean, just like a certain spot on it and go, Breath of the Wild takes place here. Yeah. They would never do that. No. They could have. Actually, you say they'll never do it, but if they ever release another updated version of the timeline, and we have every reason to think that they will at some point, they could end up placing Breath of the Wild in a way that we'll hate. I, I have difficulty imagining a place I'd really hate. In terms of his placement. It would be really oh, yeah? funny if it took place before Skyward Sword. Oh yeah, that would be pretty good. <laughs> what if, but say that it takes place after Twilight Princess and after Four Swords Adventures. Um, no, after Spirit Tracks. You and Crystal hate... <laughs> You're telling me you wouldn't hate that I, shit. I am... I do not hate it as much as you and Crystal. I'm drawing up the divorce papers. <laughs> I'm calling my attorney. I'm at least open to the possibility. Are we okay for another question? Uh-huh. Okay, hold on. The next question comes, and the next several questions actually, come in from Dean O. Are the Gerudo Mesa, where the floors of Monsters Trial is in Twilight Princess, and Wind Waker's Mother and Child Islands larger island, possibly related. I got in an argument with someone about this, and the Forsaken Fortress being the hauled-up and modified remains of the Gerudo Fortress. So do we think that these these two locations are related to one another? Now, if I remember, the larger island, the mother island, is where the Queen of the Fairies is, right? Yes. Let's pull up the map. Because one would think... What what part of the map am I pulling up here? Just wanted to take a look at it. Because the Gerudo Mesa. Because the, you'd think that the primary thing that would link them would be the caverns of monsters. Oh, I see. It's because the Queen of the Fairies is in both places. The Queen of the Fairies can change her abode i'm sure yeah there's no particular reason they couldn't move or why they wouldn't be forced to move by the enormous flood is it because the topography looks similar i don't think so because there's no real topography to see here the larger island is like it's almost like a hollowed out tree trunk it's made of stone but that's how it's shaped and that is not the way that the floors of monsters trial that the great fairies at the bottom of is in Twilight Princess. I was just thinking of the me- the mesa itself. I honestly could not tell you. I don't know off the top of my head. I just remember uh, there is like a rock that juts out in the desert. What do you think that argument was about? Whose side do you think they went on? <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't know that we have enough information here to try to relate them to each other concretely. Even if we were to lay the maps over each other, that is getting into the forbidden science of geography. Even though Wind Waker has a good consideration of these things. Generally speaking, yes, but in relation to Ocarina of Time, not in relation to Twilight Princess, which throws a lot of spatial relationships out the window. Yes, 
So the ultimate answer is we don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to lean toward no. The only compelling link between them is the presence of the great fairy. And she could probably move. She almost definitely would move, right? Yeah. I thought this was going to be a question about whether the um, 40 level dungeon. Oh, if they were linked together? Yeah. But that one's on outset. Yes. I thought that was what the question was going to be about. If those were linked together, that would be very interesting. And I could see making an argument about it because there aren't really any other structures like that in Hyrule in any timeline. It's mostly just those two, right? I think so. Yeah. If I'm wrong, someone will correct me, but I think so. Well, there's the bonus dungeon in Twilight Princess HD. Yeah. Are we counting that one? No. Nah, it's not canon, though. Wait, no, it's canon. (laughs) It's canon now. It's super canon. Damn it. Okay. But regardless, um, what do we think of the idea of the Forsaken Fortress being a hauled up and recovered version of the Gerudo Fortress, Gerudo Fortress, on the edge of the desert? This idea that they would be linked topographically either because Ganon thematically links them together or because they're both evil places. Can you pull up a picture of the Forsaken Fortress and its place on the greater map? The Forsaken Fortress, if I remember, is in the northwest. Yeah. The thing is, it doesn't really look much like the way Gerudo build their domiciles. It's got this huge tree on it. Big parts of it seem to be made out of wood. Um... It looks like a much more Hylian-style structure. I guess the other link you could put between it would be the possibility that the Gerudo are the pirates who originally ran the Forsaken Fortress. But they were driven off by... Ganon's people fucking killed everyone. Yeah. I just don't see the idea that a Gerudo place... Now, maybe the pirates who hauled it up out of the sea were not Gerudo, and Ganon went and killed all of them and just reclaimed a Gerudo space. I could sort of buy that, but I'm not aware of any symbology in the place that links it to anything except for Ganon himself. I suppose it's just a funny thought that Ganon would, you know, reappear in his ancestral land and then occupy it again. I guess, but he did, he wasn't much big into occupying it back in the day. True. He he would much rather leave and go do something else. Somewhere with better fields and winds. I guess something for him to conquer was the bigger thing. And he doesn't seem to have any particular attachment to the fortress. No, none at all that we're aware of. But the next question also comes in from Dean Okupa. Uh... Is it possible that the people of Ikana were always of the dead, but their land was just more inviting and some equivalent of fertile before getting wrecked? Like they used to be Coco, but then became Dark Souls. I like this question. Holy shit. (laughs) I think I've actually considered it before. The idea that they've always been undead? Yeah. Oh, that is an interesting thought, isn't it? What's your take? Uh, I'd have to look at some of the lines to make sure. I mean, they've adjusted to death very well if they used to be alive. Yes. But... He... I I think 
that's uh, certainly an arguable theory. I can't remember the specifics of the script, and I'm not going to pull up the text dump here because I don't want to spend the time on it. Or I guess I could, but I'm not going to because it's more fun to argue th- about things blind sometimes. <laughs> um, but the thing is that when I think of it, it King Akana is not the first of his name, right? Right. Why wouldn't he be the first of his name if everyone's a Zambo? If everyone is an immortal undead skeleton. Um, well, undead is just their state. They can have kids too. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so they're creatures that look like skelemans? Yes. Oh, that's disturbing. But also it makes a certain amount of sense, I guess. I was trying to remember if there were lines about Captain Keita dying or something like that. I mean, I thought that a large part of what was implied through the grave of Captain Keita is that all of these characters used to be living flesh and that we are seeing Akana as it was. And we didn't used to have a bunch of zombies running around. They basically got up and started messing up the place because of the wind coming from inside of the Stone Tower Temple. How do you think Kita looked in life? In li- Oh, because he's like uh, 40 feet tall. as uh-huh. his. Uh, I'm sure he had a very big personality. <laughs> what do you think he looked like? This is why I had the whole everybody was skeletons all along theory. Um, Because I couldn't conceive of it. Yeah, that's one of the things about this. Is that because of the way asset reuse works in Majora's Mask, carrying over models as baselines from Ocarina of Time, is that a lot of the skeletons in Majora's Mask look like the Stal children from Ocarina of Time. Now, as was established, an episode, uh, a particular one in the Skyward Sword series of episodes, um, Crystal posited that the Stowl children are not single skeletons and are instead a collection of bones which are drawn together by spirits, and they're not supposed to look like people because they're not actually very good reproductions of people. And I happen to agree with that. Huh. But these are actual discrete people. Yes. Termina. And they're supposed to have looked like that in life, only covered in flesh, which would be very freaky looking. Their heads would be all funny shaped. Yes. And I mean, people in The Legend of Zelda often have funny shaped heads. Look at Wind Waker. But in the Ocarina games, so to speak, people generally have normal sized noggins. So the style children as people is kind of a weird effect, right? And I get that it's just like a stylistic language that they're speaking through. I really want to look at the script. <laughs> I mean, the two guards and the king are all three unique skeletons. Mm-hmm. And they don't look anything like style children. Right. Because they look like people. And I think that's just a case of asset reuse. In life, I think that Captain Keaton did not look like a style child, but he was 40 feet tall. What part of the script do you want to look at? With the king and the two advisors. Uh, but why? I don't feel like I could discuss this definitively without at least taking a quick look. Kita? Hold on a second. He introduces himself as Skull Kita? Yeah. <laughs> His name is Skull Kita. 
Yeah, I commanded the Ikana army of Ikana kingdom atop the hill. I am called Skull Kita. Since being shamed by loss in a battle within my kingdom, I have waited here for one to come and awaken my soul. It does sound like he was killed in the field of battle. And on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, maybe their, their life cycle involves a soul sleeping and waking. What do you think? Ah, uh, wait, wait, scroll up. Here, and convey my words to my men who, even in death, remain loyal to me. Well, that implies that yeah, they were loyal they were, in life. They were living. Yeah. So, so they are dead. Yeah, they were not originally Skelemans. Right. There, oh. see? So, yeah, okay. The text dump has lifted the veil from our eyes. And in this particular case, I do not think that uh, they were originally undead, though that's a very cool idea. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. And they are most likely uh, alive as a manifestation of the bad curse coming out of the stone tower, as opposed to any of the good curses from throughout the rest of the series. But the guy was called Skullkita in life. The dude were called Skullkita. Or he calls himself Skullkita now because his skull is exposed. That doesn't mean... I guess you can change your name anytime. You can, you can, you can change what you're called now. But everybody has skulls exposed. Well, then what does it matter? <laughs> but why would you name yourself Skullkita? Well, I mean, his hat actually has a skull on it. Yes. The captain's cap has a skull on it that is not his. So he's called Skull Kita because he killed somebody and wears their skull as a trophy. You heard it first here, folks. I mean, am, <laughs> am I misreading what's going on there? No. It's got hands on it. He killed some person. You know what? You always did wonder about that mask, so I guess you've answered it. I guess we have. And that's the story of Captain Skull Kita called Skull because he'll wear your skull. Jorah's mask just got even darker. <laughs> the next question. I can read some questions. Oh, yeah, that's fine then. This is also from Dino. Why can't frogs or lizards or crickets be used as meat in recipes in Breath of the Wild? Also, there are no ants, roaches, gnats, mosquitoes, or rats, and that's weird in a world where there are still pigeons. Also, no chocolate? WTF. They mean to convey what the fuck. We can swear? Yes. I, can, I can swear. We can both swear. Okay. I thought you weren't allowed to say fuck. Fuck. Yeah, I might have to bleep that out. We'll see. Um, so why do you think that those particular things are not meal items? Uh, that was being frogs, lizards, and crickets. Can you not use crickets? No, those are potion ingredients, aren't they? Yes. Well... On the official Nintendo Tumblr, there's a really long anecdote about how somebody in a Nintendo of America played a beta version of Breath of the Wild mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then went to cook a recipe and then added crabs of some sort and then realized that they couldn't be used in meals. They could only be used for potions. That's ridiculous. Crab. Actually, it was either that or they couldn't cook with the crabs and they had spawned crabs. Wasn't, like this on the, wasn't this on the Nintendo Power podcast? 
It was also mentioned as an anecdote in the Nintendo Power podcast, I think. Ah. But the main, the first location and the longest explanation is on Nintendo's Tumblr. Interesting. So they wrote a very long plea for crabs to be included as a food. Because how are you going to make uh, crab curry without it? <laughs> or many of the other delicious ways to prepare crab. Right. And that convinced whoever it needed to convince at Nintendo of Japan, and they made the necessary changes. It just never occurred to them. Right. And I guess they had a lot of things to think about. Yeah, but come on. Cooking yeah, crab? crab is a very strange, because people in Japan love crab. It ain't like they don't eat shellfish over there. Right. But I guess nobody advocated for frogs or lizards or crickets. Even though those are all delicious, I guess. I've never... I, d- Have you had frogs? Hell yeah, I've had frogs. They're not great, but they're edible. Have you ever had frogs? Yes. Oh. You probably ate frogs with me then. Um, No, I had them when I was much younger. Oh. Oh, you may have had them with me the second time I had them back in Louisiana when Papa treated us all to dinner. Oh, no, they're also cooked for Chinese dishes. Oh, okay. You've had them with us. Oh, have I? Yes. Oh, I'm sure they were better in that case. Yeah. Yeah, we, they're fine. Neither of us have eaten lizards or crickets. Yeah. Um, with regards to no ants, roaches, gnats, mosquitoes, or rats, I think that that's probably just a function of the design ethos of Breath of the Wild, where nothing exists in that game except insofar as it serves one of the game's systems. There's no bird you see that you can't eat. There's no fish you see that can't be caught. And they would need to include things like ants, roaches, gnats, mosquitoes, or rats, and try to figure out how they work within the system. Do they create food items? Do they not create food or medicinal items? What would the justification be for them not doing it if they didn't? Funnily enough, there are bees. There are bees. Um, you or wasps. You can't eat them, though. Were they wasps or bees? I think it's bees because they come out of a beehive. Coarser bee honey. There yeah, we go. the coarser bee coarser honey. Bee. You can, and you do have bee larvae that counts as like worms, and you can eat that. It or no, it's just the honey, isn't it? It's just the honey. Damn it! I'm thinking of uh, Twilight Princess. I, uh, they could still exist in the world. Just Link doesn't have any usage of them. They exist in the fiction, but they do not exist in the game for us, the player, to interact with. Yes. About rats, do you think that they would be infected with the malice? Or would they just be rats? Oh, I mean, rats in this series turning evil is kind of an ongoing thing ever since Link to the Past. Yeah, but there's also crafty rats in Wind Waker. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, bad rats are everywhere. This series is all about bad rats. You remember the evil (laughs) fucking ghost rats in Twilight Princess? Yes. But no, the Wind Waker ones were were nice-ish. Uh, if you, you could negotiate them with yeah. them. And they would sell you things. But those same guys came back in Spirit Tracks and they were just assholes. You don't remember? Yes, I remember. Okay, yeah, they were just dicks. Yeah. I didn't like them. They're not very good. Anyway, that's probably why they're in there. Because you can eat a pigeon. Uh, every, but who doesn't eat dove sometimes? No one, probably. No one in the world wouldn't eat a dove if you put it in front of them right now. 
Pigeon tastes good. Yeah, pigeon's great. Uh, don't catch uh, wild ones, though. Make sure they're farm-raised. Um, chocolate? Chocolate. Chocolate's hard to make. The game didn't have enough rep for desserts. Yes. That's it. Like, more desserts, please. But, I mean, to make chocolate, you would need cocoa beans. Uh-huh. Sugar. Uh, butter. Oh, I mean, you get Milk? the cocoa... It depends, right? Like, you should be able to make several different gradients of chocolate, in theory. That's a lot to consider. That's a lot to consider. And chocolate's hard to make. And it's just another one of those things where it's like, it probably just never occurred to them to put it in. Right, but also, you would need to make the chocolate and then add the chocolate in a recipe for something else. You can't do that. Right. Because that if you create a thing, that's a meal. And a meal cannot be added to a recipe. So you, it would be one of those items like milk that you could only buy from shops. Yeah. I guess probably the better explanation for it is that the cultivation of... Has there ever been chocolate in a Zelda game? No. No. Not that I'm aware of. So maybe chocolate's just not a thing in Hyrule. Truly, they live in the worst possible timelines. I, I guess. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I guess that's pretty much it. Maybe it's just because there's no chocolate. And yes, that is indeed worthy of a what the fuck. Because everyone should be able to have chocolate if they want it. The next question comes in from Mothy. In Ocarina of Time, the Temple of Time is in Hyrule Castle Town. And in Twilight Princess, it's in Farron Woods. How and why do you think it moved locations over the years? I want to hear your thoughts on this one. And we've established it is the same Temple of Time in both games. Yes, there's almost no argument about it. Because the initial room in Twilight Princess is exactly the same as in Ocarina of Time. Well, not like 100%, but really really similar you can see it as a reimagining or a redesign rather than as an entirely new location it is definitely meant to evoke the same thing you can see that same window yes the series of windows yes through the back which navi laughed at and through the back where the entrance to the temple in twilight princess actually is absolutely or the dungeon rather yeah the big dungeon So I want to hear your thoughts on how it moved or if it moved. Why do we read the locations as being different? Because I think that Crystal and I ended up touching on this, and I'm going to give most of the credit here to Crystal. I'm, this is one of those ideas that I think came from her, and I only like went, yeah, that sounds good. Is that in order to reach the Temple of Time in Twilight Princess, you have to go through the Lost Woods, similar to how you have to reach it through the Lost Woods in A Link to the Past. Now, if you remember the placement of the Temple of Time in Ocarina of Time, it was at the back of Hyrule Castle Town, which is separated by both Zora's Domain and Death Mountain. And on the fourth position would be the Lost Woods. Mm -hmm. Now, that implies that either one of two things happened. Hyrule Castle Town is absolutely not in the same place in Twilight Princess as it was in Ocarina of Time. It has moved to the center of Hyrule Field, roughly where Lon Lon Ranch was in Ocarina. Okay. 
So I think we can both agree on that one. Yes. As as, as far as we're willing to dip as into... As far as geography the, can possibly be discussed. The forbidden science, it is very much in the middle of the field. Yeah. Whereas it was set into, like, the mountains in Ocarina of Time. Uh-huh. Um, so the city did move. And I think that probably Death Mountain is in a very different place compared, and so is Zora's Domain. So actually, I don't know why I'm doing this. But I think the explanation that we ended up arriving at is that eventually the Lost Woods spread. That works. And ended up taking over the place where the Temple of Time used to stand. It's also possible that the the woods overgrew a bit of around the temple. And Link simply in Twilight Princess runs around enough to have warped over there. What do you mean? Oh, the, I the see. The journey through the Lost Woods was actually a journey to lead him much closer to uh, Hyrule Castle Town. Like one of those warp stumps in the Lost Woods and Ocarina of Time. Yes. This so, wouldn't make sense in the overall overworld map when you look at it in Twilight Princess, but... No, I think that that makes a certain amount of sense. I I mean, like, the way that they perceive that space doesn't necessarily have to be concretely linked to the way that we perceive that space. So it could well be that in being led through the Lost Woods, and it's definitely the Lost Woods, Skull mm-hmm. Kid's there and he's leading you around, Link went through one of the warp portals that's in there and it just linked him to where the Temple of Time is. Yes. It's definitely been overgrown and fallen into great disuse yes it is in bad disrepair it has been many centuries not about a hundred years since anyone last tended to the temple of time right because the stone is destroyed it actually implies that ganon might have attacked the temple directly that's quite possible and maybe that's an explanation for why the rest of the city did actually reroute itself like he just destroyed the entirety of Castletown in the assault that killed the hero Shade. Or the city was largely abandoned because of an assault yeah. to somewhere more defensible. Like the middle of a field? I don't know. <laughs> I think that probably they had to do the moving after Ganon was defeated. It's a less defensible position, but making it more centralized like that makes it easier to like navigate and do diplomacy. And it also is a statement about the power of the kingdom maybe what about the burial of the hero the burial of the hero suggests to me that he uh, so if it happened around that time then he would have his body would have been buried in a place and then the tower built over him the castle, oh. the whole fortress would have been built around his burial place. You made this a lot cooler. <laughs> oh, is that what? Good. For a second, I thought it was all going to fall to pieces. You somehow managed to fix it. Okay, yeah. So that's what I think happened. I think that probably Ganon led an all-out assault against Hyrule Castle, which ended up destroying Hyrule Castle Town, and also went in and tried to break into the Temple of Time. And this forced everyone to flee, and Hyrule Castle is destroyed, and Ganon is captured, but Link is killed in the battle. And the place where Link is buried becomes... But at the same time, the ghosts of the soldiers suggest that this castle is where everything is supposed to have happened. 
Yeah, no, Link could have been with soldiers. No, but I mean, the soldiers being where they are feels almost like that's where they would have died. Right. But if that's where they died, then they died at the new location? There was a final showdown there. A final showdown at the... what? But it, in that case, it could not have been built around Link's burial site. Mm, okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> It was working for a while there. I mean, it's still a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Maybe the ghosts just don't show up exactly where they died. God knows. Maybe that... they followed him in death. Yeah. The hero shade definitely doesn't show up only where he died. In fact, he doesn't appear there at all. One of the things that kind of catches this theory, though, is that um, the wolf is hovering around the castle entrance and other parts. Yes. The place where his body is. Yes, but... I mean, it sort of implies that there's a very a significance in life. Well, that may it. that may just be a significance in his loyalty to the royal family. Yeah, he's still guarding them. This is how we hash out our theories. This is pretty close to being a regular discussion that me and Monica might have. So y'all are getting a little bit of the inside <laughs> baseball. Um, it's not that different from regular Book of Medora discussions, I guess, but there's a certain texture to it that I think differentiates it. I, I think it's pretty funny. I was just reflecting on this earlier today, how some couples will just talk about, you know, the groceries or something in the middle of the day, but we just talk about anything else and then lapse into Zelda conversation. Oh, it's not always Zelda. It's not always Zelda. It's Zelda like seventy five percent of the time. But like out of the middle of nowhere, after like two hours of inactivity, we'll just jump in and. Well, usually it's because we're thinking about it. Yeah. You know? No. No. I know. But yeah. it's, it's always on our minds. At least once every couple days, we'll do this shit. Listen, we got married for a reason, uh-huh. and we met this way, so it's like this is our relationship. We can't stop. If we ever stop, we'll... You know how some species of sharks will drown if they stop swimming? Not all of them, but some. That's us. We'll drown. We'll drown and just be dead because we're not swimming, which is talking about Zelda, I guess. Anyway, got to keep swimming. Would you like another question? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, let's keep swimming. You read this one. This one is also from friend of the show, Jordan. Jordan asks, What are some of your favorite variations of recurring characters? What about them makes you like them so much? I think we can also talk about the non-reoccurring ones. How do you mean? Some of our favorite non-reoccurring characters. Oh, yeah? Is yeah. That, I was think this is why I'm going to lay out. Um, I've been doing some like really vague planning with regards to how we're going to end the Book of Medora. And before we get into the, maybe between the Breath of the Wild episode and the Timeline episode, we could do a special, like, list bonanza where we just talk about oh, our... Oh, lists. Yeah, Lovely. We, a list episode. I've been waiting for that. Okay. So I'm thinking, like, maybe a list episode of our favorite uh, characters in general and, you know, a bunch of our other favorite things. So we won't talk about non-reoccurring characters here, but because Jordan asks, we can talk about our favorite reoccurring characters. Okay. Oh, hmm. Well, who are some big reoccurring characters? There's Beetle, there's Tingle, there's Impa, and I think Impa's probably going to be my big fucking pick. Uh, There's Zelda, Link, 
Ganon, and no, not they so much. They don't really count. Ah, Zelda does. I, yeah, but I... You I, could make an argument for Link, too, but Ganon's usually all the same person. Let's leave out the big three. Okay, we'll may leave out the big three for this one. But, I mean, there's a bunch of characters who do reoccur at least a little bit. Let me think about this for a minute. Okay. Let me go fill my water while Sure. I'll, I'll be sure to edit in the transition music here. Any suggestions for the transition music? No. Shit. Mmm, water good. Have you given any more thought to it? Is Kiki the monkey in more than one? Well, I mean, you could make an argument that she's also the girl monkey in Twilight Princess. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, is Kiki your favorite? I don't know. I mean, we both want to say Impa. But yeah. she's like a corollary, a fourth of the big three. Yes. And she's actually had more appearances than Ganondorf has. Not necessarily more than Ganon, I don't think, but more than Ganondorf for sure. Does Ganondorf count, or are we counting him as going under the Ganon umbrella? Counts as the Ganon umbrella. God, ugh, I'm mad now. Wait, Vati? Oh, yeah, Vati would count, wouldn't he? I can't keep editing out all this silence, Monica. Yes, you can. I can, but it's easiest to do it over the whole thing, and I like keeping our natural conversation flow for this one going. This is the one that will need uh, the smallest amount of editing. Okay. So, I mean, think of something to say. The monkeys. Yeah, the monkeys are really good. Um, I'm Toilet hand. Toilet hand's real good. I think that my favorite version of toilet hand is probably from Skyward Sword. Um... But what about the monkeys makes you like them? They're monkeys. They are monkeys. They're mischievous. They got butts. Their solution is usually bananas. <laughs> Building bridges. Or bridge. Yeah, yeah, they build bridges. They build bridges out of wood or their own bodies. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. And they do talk to you. One of them talks to you. Sometimes they talk to you in monkey language. Uh, I guess the owl figure is also a reoccurring character. Kapora Gabora? Yeah. Or Kapora or the Owl? Yes. Yeah, he's a pretty cool recurring character, I gotta admit. Do you think that he's meant to, uh, at least as of Link's Awakening, is the Owl meant to evoke the particular symbology of Pallas Athena? Maybe, yeah. Just a little bit? Because you know that Nintendo loves Greek mythology. And maybe a little bit of a connection to sleep or night oh is that oh i see that's a thought we haven't answered the question yet though well you did you said monkeys i did i'm gonna say impa and that's because different versions of impa are very cool for different reasons Impa's. are you saying she's a cheat yes okay how about uh, uh beetle i like beetle because he's an asshole <laughs> he's out here to make that paper he's for real you like the retail worker. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of retail work, one of the things that me and Monica have been doing is watching this new anime, uh, Skullface Bookseller Honda-san. And it's really good. 
it uh, speaks to us because she and I both had very long stints as booksellers in particular. And there are certain differences. Uh, Skull Face Bookseller Hanasan takes place in Japan, not in Canada. But there's also a certain universality to the experience of working oh, yeah. retail. And, and in selling books. And selling books apparently. in particular. Uh, it speaks to us as booksellers. It's a very good show, and I recommend it to anyone within the sound of my voice. I hope it doesn't have a weird episode that completely makes me sound like an asshole after I uh, say this. Because it's still airing right now, but it's really good so far. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so my favorite character that recurs and is not Impa because we've decided to disclude her because she's just so cool every time. And the three best versions of Impa who are canonical are definitely uh, Skyward Sword and then Ocarina of Time and then probably Breath of the Wild. Yes. Yeah. I love little old lady Impa. She's pretty cool. Um, I guess I'd say Beetle. Because he's just trying to do his job. And he'll put up with your shit, but only up to a certain amount. And he really appreciates you. Yes. Yes. I, I like his customer appreciation cards. And they just say, I appreciate you. Or he says that. Yeah. When you give it to him yep. and redeem it. Yeah, that's all you get. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it is. It's exactly like the golden poo. Linebeck's kind of a reoccurring character. Linebeck, if we count Linebeck, is far and away the top shelf number one coward, greedy, evil. Not quite evil, but he's so selfish and has that core of doing the right thing when it needs to be. He's one of my favorite kind of asshole motherfuckers. Love Linebeck. If Linebeck counts, he's number one with a bullet. Okay. They, they should bring back my car. Yes. Well, I mean, they kind of, like every Korok in Breath of the <laughs> oh, Wild no. is, is kind of Makar. Can I change my answer to Koroks? <laughs> is it Korok one character? Uh-huh. Okay, then yes, it's the Koroks. Okay. Okay. Are you crying over the Koroks now? No. I mean, just a little bit. We all love the Koroks. A little bit. Okay, I'm going to read this next question. This next question comes from Nerdy Girl 124 if you lived in Hyrule, where would you want to live? Who would you marry? What would your life be like? If we lived in Hyrule, there's a running joke that we would be honey and darling. Yeah, that is kind of a, that. In, in our old community, that is kind of the that was a thing. We did we capitalized on that a little bit even. That was really funny. It was. It was good. It was good. And it was We disgusting. very in character annoyed everybody. It was good. We had a really great mafia game <laughs> where we role played our asses off. <laughs> Even though our characters that we actually were had nothing to do with Honey and Darling. I loved themed mafia games. They're so fun. Mafia is a good game. Anything that requires that kind of social subterfuge is real good. Uh, but... Assume that we're living in Hyrule and we can't be married to each other. Okay. That's one of the assumptions of this. <laughs> Fine. Where, where would you live? Who would you marry? What would your life be like? Um, if I lived in Hyrule, I would probably relocate myself if there happened to be like a Zelda <laughs> raining. Um, but. Monica, depending, it can always be a Zelda raining. No, I know. Uh, That's why I'd usually be out of there. Monica, it's always a Zelda raining. It might be somebody else. At its 
Unless something... No, what you have to look out for is when Queen Zelda is dead yeah. and the king okay. is regent. Yes. Watch out for that motherfucker. Okay. If Zelda's Sorry, queen... Sorry, correction. If, if, if Zelda's queen, that's fine. If Zelda's queen, you're good. But if Zelda drops... The instant they announce the queen is dead... And the king is taking over, beat it. Yeah. But okay, assume that Zelda's queen. When people think about living in the medieval era or whatever, there's a general assumption that you will be of the upper classes and live a very posh, decadent life with neat clothes and everything. And like, percentage-wise, it just doesn't work out that way. But let's be real here. Hyrule is not medieval Earth. That's true. It's a fantasy setting. Yes. People are clean here. They know how to... (laughs) No, they are. They know how to read almost universally. Right. Almost everyone is wealthy enough to be well-clothed, to have weapons that are Mm well-maintained. It's funny because you don't really see any of the nobility, really. Right. Nobody's... That's one of the things about this setting, is that it kind of implies that there is no nobility. There's the royal family, and then there's everyone else. Then there's Agatha living very well off. Agatha, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Maybe her parents were some kind of tycoons. Maybe she's related to that guy who sold his soul for money, and she's just been using all the money to build her bug palace, (laughs) which is the best possible use of the filthy lucre obtained by someone who sold their soul for capital. I feel like I would be running one of those talent aiming games oh so like the bomb chew lady oh yeah being the bomb chew lady wouldn't be half bad would it yeah it'd be a very interesting job for for retail (laughs) yeah it's definitely still that's a service job i know that's that's different from retail that's even worse do it but i mean look at the job range in hyrule the job your service jobs Uh uh-huh You've got your farmer, the yeah. one farmer. Yeah, but farming in Hyrule and being a ranch hand is good, solid work that, like, works. Yeah. Things don't really go wrong in Hyrule. They don't have dead crops or bad yields on horses or anything like that. I mean, it's pretty... Can I be a loafer? Uh, no. You have Just to... Cr- loaf around. No, support the community. <laughs> This isn't even about your job. Can I just hang out, like, in the the square all day? Micah! <laughs> what? Okay, so you would live in Hyrule Castle Town. No. Where would you live? Somewhere pretty. Okay, so... Can I just really live far out in the boonies? So you would live in Orden. Or, you know, along Zora's River. Okay, sure, I guess. So Run a fishing hut. <laughs> oh, so you would be like, uh, what's her name? Hina? Hina, yeah. That's fulfilling. Yeah. If you're doing your passion and you really enjoy your work. That can work. And you like people. You're not saying anything. Yeah, no, all, all those are, there's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah, there are a lot of possibilities, but that's the point of the question. Who would you marry? I think that question implies a specific character in the <laughs> oh, setting. Oh, gosh. Well, there's there's very few decent young men in Hyrule. Okay, but I mean, you could marry a lady. Yeah. 
I'd have to explore my my female options. Yeah, people who like uh, women have a, it a lot easier in Hyrule in general. Yeah. Oh, the men are such pieces of shit. Uh, yeah, by design. I mean, if you yeah. want if you want to be taken care of, you find someone like Beetle. You marry him because he'll mm. work and he'll get it done. I suppose so. Yeah, but I, mm, you can have Beetle. No, <laughs> I don't want Beetle. I'm okay. Uh, I gotta think that I'd probably live somewhere on Hyrule Field. You know what? Fuck it. I'll marry into the ranching family. That's fine. I understand that work at least. Yes. Yeah. And you would enjoy the ranching in this video game world. Oh my god. If farming was like Harvest Moon, I never would have left. But yeah, if ranching is in like Ocarina of Time, I'll do that shit too. That's not if Talon can do it, I sure as fuck can do it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. You know, yeah, living on a farm wouldn't be that bad. Yeah. Yeah. And you have enough time to like horse race and horse ride. Yeah, and you can really and like grow close to the animals and it's good solid work where you do something concrete every day and can feel good about your accomplishments at the end of a long evening. And that's nice. It's a good, solid, not simple, but honest kind of life. There's something in that. God, sometimes living in a city can really crush you in a lot of ways. Who would you marry? Who would I marry if it's a specific person? You know, you never answered this question, so that's not fair. But You would marry Malin. I might marry... <laughs> who knows, Monica? <laughs> it, it, depending on the era that I live in, yes. But also, depending on the era that I live in... Maybe some motherfucker out there has to be the one to work their way up to wielding the sword that seals the goddamn darkness, and it might as well be me. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, can I marry the, the soldier if he doesn't die? The one soldier who dies in Ocarina of Time. Oh, so you want to go back in time and save him and then marry him because he's, sure. he's a good sort. Yeah, I'm surprised he did his did, job okay. I'm surprised you just you didn't say find the guy who's working really hard to sh- pull the master sword. He's marrying Zelda. Ne- mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we've reached the end of the problem wherein shipping takes uh, precedence over one's own happiness. They're, they're I, together. I, I said it's a problem, not a surprise. <laughs> It's not a problem, it's just a fact. Anyway, I'm not marrying Zelda if I pull the Master Sword. If I do that, I'm going to go marry that fish girl. (laughs) Good. I'm glad we got that sorted. That would be our lives. We would find something where we could work hard, but we would be able to rest and be satisfied and know that we're doing something meaningful Instead of spinning around in circles. And then charge a kid like a certain amount of money to try to accomplish some sort of a silly task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Monica would be, uh, you know what? We're not clear what we would do. You have options in Hyrule. If you live in an idyllic fantasy setting, there's all sorts of things you can do. But ideally, I would be the guy who's trying to forge for himself the spirit of the hero. I might not do it until later in life. I had depression problems when I was younger. But, I mean, like, you work for it, right? And you just do it when you can get it done. Fuck it. Running an an inn would be fun. Running an inn could be okay. Or maybe, like, restoring an old temple. 
You know, we talk a lot of shit about the men in Hyrule, because they deserve it. Uh-huh. But at the same time, there's perhaps a couple of good boys that we could stand to mention. By which I mean we were thinking about this shit last night and went, Oh, I can't believe we forgot to mention that. Specifically one person. One person. Okay. Sidon. Yeah. Sidon's a good boy. If you I... have an opportunity to marry a shark prince. Yeah, I'd marry Sidon, I guess. Yeah. That's a good one. He's very supportive. It'd make you queen of the Zora. It would make you queen of the Zora. That's fine. But you know who else is supportive? Who? Yeto. Ah. Yeah. Well, he's he's taken. He is taken, yes. But let's assume that you can take the place of either Yeto or Yeta. Okay. Frankly, either of those is relationship goals in and of themselves. Uh-huh. So, that's a little bit more in the marriage opportunities that we wanted to include. Get you a man who can cook for you and stomp over everyone as he charges toward you out of fanatical love. Yes. Why don't you take this next question from Kay Hirsch? Kay asks, Since the only reason FSA is in the child timeline is because it's an easy place to dump it, what would you want from a new game in that timeline? Should TP Link meet up with a whale deity and fight a demon in its head? Should we cut ahead 10 to 10,000... Sorry, 100 to 10,000 years? Gdorf's back again? Sorry, I mess up my tens and hundreds, hundreds and, and thousands. thousands and ten thousands. One hundred to ten thousand years. Um, I'm I'm really opposed to Four Swords Adventures being there on the child timeline. We know that games aren't written with the assumption that the Historia is true. Right. So So is this this question is sort of assuming that it's not there? Um, this question, no, the question is assuming that it is there. This question assumes that we're taking the Historia as canon, which the Book of Medora officially does not. To be very clear, we place the Four Swords Adventures near the beginning of the Accursed Timeline. It would probably be the, not the first game, because, yeah, it's something like the third game on the Accursed Timeline after... Skyward Sword causes the split. But for the purpose of this question, we'll answer it as if the Historia is canon. So what would we want out of that game? Because the thing about the ending of Twilight Princess to me is that it precludes Four Swords Adventures at all. Yes. And... Can can uh, we answer the question just assuming Four Swords Adventures is not there? No, we can't. We, so what we really have to do is we had just go off the ending of Four Swords Adventures. Okay. What do we want to take place after Four Swords Adventures? Because, I mean, like, it ends with Ganon sealed in the Four Sword and the Master Sword nowhere to be found. I don't have much of a thought of what could happen there. No? What do you mean? I mean, it... it Four Swords Adventures doesn't really speak to me in any particular way. We did pretty good contextualizing it. Yeah, we did. And Crystal was right that it is very clearly meant to be a, or originally meant to be a version of the imprisoning war that takes place before Link to yes, the Past. Yes, that's true. I'd forgotten about that. It absolutely is. And that's actually still how we read it more or less mm-hmm. in the timeline that we've created. 
So I think that if we wanted to set a if we were to say that Nintendo does what it will never do and refer to the Historia timeline or any timeline when they start to design a game, I think that most likely we would end up with a story that's very similar to Link to the Past. As to what we I would want out of it, I don't know. I don't think that the ending of Four Swords Adventures lends itself to any particularly compelling new places. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I... I, you, I there are no threads to pull on. It would just be something totally... Um, disconnected from it which is okay yeah that's fine but i mean like um should tp link meet up with a whale deity and fight a demon in its head that's a link's awakening reference i think yes there's a couple of whale deities that, (laughs) that could also be a phantom hourglass reference or skyward sword if you interpret the parasite as yeah a demon yeah yeah literally in its head yep i can see that (laughs) um i really am happy that nintendo creates its stories after it's designed the game mechanic yes absolutely because it really could be anything it could be anything and i'd be okay with it what we would want from a new game in that timeline is for it to not be in that timeline. <laughs> and that's it. You'd want the branch to end? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Twilight Princess branch has effectively ended for us anyway. That's interesting because the adult branch ends too. Yes. When do you think we should talk about... You know what? I'm going to wait for Crystal to be here to talk about my idea behind how Breath of the Wild ends up where it does with so many influences from all the different timelines. I've talked about it a little bit before, but there's been new developments and possibilities created along the events of the Accursed timeline, and we'll talk about that soonish, depending on when this airs. Maybe we'll talk about it long before this airs. Right, we might have already talked about it. Yeah, we might have already talked about it from the con- from the perspective of the listener. Anyway... This is a messed up timeline. Yeah, this is the real timeline problem. Get the Hyrule Historia writers to try to arrange all these episodes. How about that? Kay also writes in, What's a character who either hasn't reoccurred slash reincarnated, or has only done so rarely, that you wish would get the tingle slash beetle slash malin treatment? Any you're tired of reoccurring you wish would stop showing up so much? Okay, first of all, I resent the idea that Malin has gotten the same level of treatment as Tingle and Beetle <laughs> because she has only shown up in one game, so to speak. Uh, two, if you count Romani and... Oh God, I still can't believe they Cremia. named her that. I still can't believe they named oh. her Romani. And Cremia. And I don't count the Oracle games because she's not effectively the same character and they're barely canon as it is. God, the Oracle games still give me hives. (laughs) Just dealing with them canonically speaking. I guess she has had three appearances. And that's about, that's not quite as many as Beetle, but it's pretty close. I guess it's fair to lump her in with them. It's not cool though. For a character who hasn't reoccurred that we would like to, it's sort of like talking about our favorite non-reoccurring character. Yeah, a little bit. Well, no, but no, I mean, it could be somebody we really hate, but yeah. want to see more of. Uh, what about like Raphael? 
Sure, a ravio-like. A ravio-like being a reoccurring character who provides... Oh, Shad is a ravio-like. Really? Yeah, basically. He's the opposite of Link. Yeah, but he's like prissy. Is that how you would describe him? Fussy? He's not very good. He thinks that all that heroing around is, is like icky and will mess up his clothes and is so unposh. Is that what he says? More or less. I think I, I think it's more that he says that it's meant for people who do not have the mental capacities to address their problems through other channels. Right, but I think he calls it uncouth and or uncivilized. Ooh. I don't know about uncivilized, but definitely there was a whole like, you know, town people versus Chad's a or fuck city boy. Pe- city people versus the people in the you know countryside. what? Bring back lineback. Bring sure. back lineback. It's hard to decide that a, a non-reoccurring character should come back because, like, as much as you love, you know, Groose or Midna, you couldn't bring them back. No, God. It would so, be a lessening of that character. So much of what makes them effective is particular to the context of their stories. Like, do I want more story that has to do with Mifa? Yes. Would I have her brought back for another game? Absolutely, positively fucking not. Not ever, not in a thousand years. Because what makes her effective is the tragedy of her story and how we interact with it and how it shapes our perception of the world. And bringing her back in a different form... We shouldn't have another character who relates to Mifa in any way except for how Mifa relates to Ruto. Right. Pretty much uh, the only characters you could have as safely recurring would be a little bit jokey and a little bit, you know, function. Uh, They're doing a very specific function for you. Like Lineback. Like Lineback. Lineback, who's incidentally the best possible character who could fulfill this role because he can always be that asshole, but will still always have who he was in Phantom Hourglass. You know, I'd like to see the happy mask salesman. Oh, but that could actually just be the same guy over and over. Oh, God. Oh, he would be like the opposite number to Ganon. Oh. That would be really good. Oh, that would be amazing. I'm so glad you said that. I wish the Happy Mask Salesman would come back now. The Happy Mask Salesman. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good pick. He could fit anywhere. He could fit anywhere. You could do almost anything you want with him. How they decide to use him would be very interesting, though, because they would end up if only through the way that he exists within a story defining his character much more over time. You can't have him be that mysterious while operating in the context of all of these same stories unless his importance to the story and his relationship to the primary players remains the same as it was in Majora's Mask. He would effectively become the main character of the series that you're only bumping into from time to time. But fuck it, he's awesome. (laughs) I'm glad you like my answer. It's very good. So that's who we've got. We've got Linebeck and the Happy Mask Salesman. Now, as to the second question, any you're tired of reincurring you wish would stop showing up so much, I think we both have the same answer here. Yes. Tingle. Tingle as an idea for a character where it's an adult who is seen as being too childlike but is really quite helpful and good as a person and really meaningfully helps you advance through the story that's fine like, as he was in majora's mask um mostly i, guess. I see the other thing about 
Tingle is that he also plays into a lot of gay stereotypes. Yeah. And we can't have it. And that was true even in Majora's Mask. Yes. He was less like that in Majora's Mask, but it's a matter of degrees rather than of kind. So Tingle pretty much has to go for us. You can find another character that's like that, that fulfills the same basic function not as the butt of jokes, but as someone who's interesting to talk to, and that would work fine. Or they could change Tingle so that he's not quite the way that he is, and he stops referring to himself as a fairy? Retire Tingle. Retire Tingle. That's that's our ultimate take on that particular question, and I hope that it satisfies. Okay, and Kay also writes in, uh, Monica, why don't you do this one? What director would you like to see get a chance to make a Zelda game? I'd like to see Swery take a crack at it personally. You'd be guaranteed something truly unique. Plus, despite his missteps, his narratives still definitively treat trans people better than Breath of the Wild does. I Now, for context, the Swery that Kay refers to here is also known as Swery 65, I think. Uh, recently put out a Kickstarter for a game where you are an investigative reporter in a village where everyone turns into cats and or dogs once a month. Uh, Did also just put out a game uh, platformer called The Missing, uh, which is about a lesbian romance. And anyone within the sound of my voice reminded me to by the missing because if neither I, of us have played it yet neither of us have played it yet uh we're very interested in doing so um and we don't know anything about it so don't spoil it for us when you yell at us uh, but the other thing uh monica sweary's work that you would be familiar with would be deadly premonition oh lord uh yeah uh Monica bounced off of Deadly Premonition really hard, um, not at the first time that you find a butchered woman's body, but the second time when they're hanging from the ceiling in that mansion. Is that when the tree's growing through them? Something like that, yeah. It's treatment of violence against women turned Monica off so hard. I don't like serial killer plots. That is another part of it, but it was the grotesqueness of that scene, I think. Yeah, maybe. That's how you put it at the time. You said it disturbed you so badly you couldn't see the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we have kind of a tumultuous relationship with Swery, but, you know, Deadly Premonition was a decade ago. Yeah, I'm, well, like, I wouldn't choose him as a director. Was he the one that joked that he wanted to make a Zelda game? There's a lot of people who have done that. You. There was somebody on the podcast, the, the Nintendo Power podcast. Uh-huh. Is it possible that it might have been, oh god, uh, Suda51? Yes, Suda51. Suda51, the person behind No More Heroes, as well as, <laughs> no, Killer, as well as Killer7. I don't know if I would trust him in Zelda either. Well, I mean, having either of them having to work under the particular content guidelines of Nintendo would be very interesting, uh-huh. actually. Um, and again, we're not going to pass judgment on Swery here. Uh, Deadly Premonition was years ago, and... I don't know enough about him or his work. I would sooner pass judgment on him based on The Missing than I would anything else, since that is his latest work and the latest statement about how he creates. So, again, uh, we'll end up playing The Missing before we talk about Swery. But, Monica, who's a director that you would like to see handle it? Sakurai and Itoi. 
Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. I know that's not wandering far from the Nintendo tree. No, it doesn't have to be, though. It's very similar to the answers that I had in my head going. Uh, could, could, could you expand on those a little bit? Um, Sakurai more for his Kirby-isms than the Smash-isms that he's known for. Sure, but when you say Kirby-isms... Just how he frames his Kirby stories. Oh, I see. You like his storytelling. Is he the one who's behind the Dark Matter trilogy? I don't know. You tell me. I actually don't know (laughs) that either. I know that he's behind a lot of the Kirby games, though, and that he's generally got some of the best ones attributed to him. Mm. Um, A lot of the more recent ones, like Planet Robobot, I think was not actually done with Sakurai at the helm because Mm. he was busy with Smash Brothers at the time. I think it's just the combination of something very lighthearted. But suddenly something much more uh, darker and grander and menacing. It's like fun, but also serious. And then hidden lore. Because I live for that shit. Yeah, we would get a really... (laughs) This would be one of the Zelda games that has a boss rush mode that's selectable from the menu. And then you pause and then you read the description of the boss and there's something to learn. And you would get alternate forms of the bosses that give you more lore about them and also about Link and the setting. It's like Dark Souls times 10. It's like all the good parts of Dark Souls without having to play Dark Souls for Monica. Thanks. Yeah. But what about a toy? And in case our listeners are not aware, Shigesato Itoi is the director of the Mother series. Mother, also known as Earthbound Beginnings for the Famicom or Nintendo Entertainment System. Mother 2, better known as Earthbound on the Super Famicom or Super Nintendo. And Mother 3 on the Game Boy Advance. And those are the only games that he's directed. I suppose I want... I say that, but he also did at least one bass fishing game at some point. (laughs) I want a story, and I want to cry badly, I suppose. Uh Uh-huh. I want it to be funny, touching, and sad, or whatever that tagline was. Yeah, uh, but the thing is that you only really got emotionally affected by the third Mother game, right? The first two don't really fuck with you I did not way. play the first one. Oh, yeah. I was you... affected by the second one. Not the same as Mother 3. Well, I think that the second was actually really enhanced by playing the first one in terms of its emotional payload. Okay. Like Gygus. Oh, yeah, Gygus really messed me up. So that was that was definitely a thing. Yeah. It's worse in the first one, and that first yeah. one makes the second one much more powerful. No, I, I read a lot about the first one in that. Big boohoos. Big boohoos. Yeah. yeah. And I would like some boohoos in relation to Zelda, I suppose. Itoi would be another one of my choices, but do you have anything else that drives you toward him? Because It would I, just be an interesting... I have no idea how that story would be exactly, but... Seeing it from his his framing would be very interesting. I noticed that all of your considerations so far are about tone and plot rather than anything to do with mechanics. Yes. I will play a Zelda game in whatever way they serve it to me. Okay, that's fair. We kind of skimmed over this part, but uh, Kay did point out that Swery treats trans people better than Breath of the Wild does. That's almost undoubtedly true, because uh, Breath of the Wild does a very bad job. Right. And we're going to be... So long as he's not, you know, transphobic. Yeah, as long as he hasn't got, like, explicit trans-misogynistic imagery laced into a major part of 
the story of the missing then yeah he's kicked the shit out of breath of the wild and i know that quite a few of our listeners are uh, affected by and want to hear conversations surrounding it so um, i'm not going to make any promises on anybody's behalf but there will be a lot said with regards to this in the gerudo episode of the breath of the wild recap Ooh. Well, I mean, we need to get into it, right? Yeah, no, definitely. But you don't really have any mechanical suppositions. It's not really until Breath of the Wild that you super enjoyed playing a Zelda game just to play it. Yes. Like moment-to-moment gameplay systems. I never really think about mechanics. I want it to be so intuitive that I don't have to do much. You want the mechanics to get out of your way so you can experience everything else. Yes. Mother 3 is interesting, though, because it made... Uh, Japanese RPG battles very moment to moment engaging. Yeah, a little bit different from the uh, usual. Mechanics don't grab me in quite the same way that you do. Fair enough. They do to you, but you really way. enjoyed playing Breath of the Wild. Uh huh. That's a little bit different. Um, it totally would be my first answer, I think. Um, you thought about that independent of me? Yeah, a little bit. Hmm. The thing is, I also have reservations with regards to Itoi, because Itoi handling a Zelda story would be really, really, really great. Because one of the major themes in Mother 3 in particular, but also the Mother series in general, is about the deconstruction of gender roles with a particular focus on the deconstructions, on the expectations of masculinity. The character of Lucas, the main character of Mother 3, is a boy who is considered improperly masculine or rather not masculine enough to fit within the context of society and the family in which he lives his grandfather often chastises him for being too emotional uh too girly for lack of a better well not for lack of a better phrase but to capture the feeling that lucas's grandfather tries to convey here and a lot of the emotional growth that lucas experiences is by being mentored and tutored by non-binary people who help him discover more about who he is. And he never stops uh, identifying as a boy that we, the player, are made privy to or anything like that. But over the course of the game, he does more readily and fully accept the idea that he doesn't have to be masculine in the same way that his father is masculine because his father's masculinity is also very toxic and destructive in its way even though he's not openly abusive in any way that we see and i actually would like to i've never really read anything i've looked before but I've never found any trans writers writing about gender identity as it's portrayed in Mother 3. I'd really like to read somebody's thoughts on that if anybody has written that out there. But Itoi's one of the people who I'd really like to try to handle Zelda and try to break down the particular gender weirdness that the series has had since its inception. Like, his version of the character of Zelda... Oh, yeah. Would be so fucking cool. Yeah. Just the greatest. And there's also a lot that I want to see there because for him, every mechanic is developed as a mechanic first. And mechanics are sort of woven into the narrative after that. He designs things very differently from the standard uh, Nintendo oof because the story is still what it is. 
and both the mechanics and the story can change in order to fit into each other. But um, the other thing is that Itoi would never, ever, ever, ever do this, and I wouldn't want him to do anything that he wouldn't He'd want to do. He'd get bogged down. Gee, oh, yeah, that's the thing. We would get an announcement for uh, the mother for the... Oh, what's the actual name of The Legend of Zelda? Uh, Mother 4, The Hyrulean Fantasy. Uh, Hyrule Fantasy. Mother 4, The Hyrule Fantasy. And it would be announced in 2019, and it wouldn't come out until 2031. (laughs) And it would come out, and it would be easily the best game ever made by anyone. But also, it's like, I don't want him to have a breakdown trying to make a Zelda game. That's no good. The other thought that I had... Just a second. When you used the term gender weirdness earlier, yeah, what did you mean? It's something that comes up from time to time in our discussions of The Legend of Zelda, but there is definitely an undercurrent throughout the series of the idea of masculinity as the agent of change and femininity as the passive force, the foundational force that shapes the world that masculinity then changes. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's a pretty good way to describe a very great deal of the entire lore of the series. Mm. Like, Link is probably the character who most commonly subverts that in that almost all of the power that he draws on is drawn from feminine sources. So Mm -hmm. he's empowered by women in order to act against almost, almost invariably masculine threats. Which you can read in a certain way if you want to, but Link's always been a dude, too. Yeah. The other people that I would want to handle a Zelda game isn't actually just, like, one director. This is more leaning into the idea of a team or a collection of people being more responsible for a game than any auteur-like director in the vein of Swery or Kojima. And to be very fucking clear, Kojima could not come within a thousand goddamn miles of this series. Please, no. <laughs> Never, ever, 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 ever. Not once. Um, I think that it would be fun to have the Splatoon team do a Zelda game. Oh, why? Because a Splatoon is the sort of thing where it's like, it's built around mechanics first because it's a Nintendo game. But it's also something where they tend to go really wild with how things work. And just the idea that they ended up implementing in Splatoon, where the weapons that you use also creates your main mode of traversal, Uh which is also how you progress through a given mode of the game. Like, every action that you take makes it so that you can move better, so that you can attack better, so that you are closer to being accomplishing your goal. And if they could take that same wild sense of what you can do with the synthesis of setting and mechanics, and every piece of lore in the game is also built into it mechanically, and they just have the best synthesis of mechanics and aesthetics and lore and world building of maybe any team on the market right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that what they would do with a Zelda game would be very different and it would be very cool. And I've said for a while now that Link should be at least as customizable as a Splatoon character. There's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be able to pick Link, decide their gender, and give them one of a spectrum of skin tones. Yes. There's no reason. 
We haven't chosen any Western directors. Why would we? Or teams. <laughs> no. God. What, you and think, I really tried to give it a shot thinking, but I'm What like, the fuck are we going to do? Give Zelda to CD Projekt? I don't think so. No spank you. Hoi. Uh, how disappointing with that bullshit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Enough about CD Projekt. I bury them. Um... Yeah, no, no Western teams. Like, were you thinking of any Western teams? No, I couldn't think of any what, that you, I would. You don't like uh, Bioware Montreal? Do they no. still exist? Is it just Edmonton now? One of them's dead. What's the name of the writer I like? Oh, David Gator. No. Oh. Gator's fine. Okay. No, KOTOR 2. Oh, Chris Avion. Yeah, but he... I don't want him around Zelda. He doesn't need to be around Zelda. He can oh. write his own things. Oh, so you're like the people who see KOTOR 2 as being like a rejection of everything that makes Star Wars Star Wars, <laughs> except you're afraid that he might actually do that to Zelda. I'm not worried about what he would do to deconstruct it. Okay. I just don't think tonally whatever he would create would... Well, you don't know. He could end up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that. Like, what would it look like if he was trying to write a relatively lighthearted fantasy story? We just don't know. That's true. Okay, fine. I would name Chris Avion. He's a writer, though. He's not really. Did he direct Kotor Two, the best Star Wars game ever made? (laughs) I don't know if he directed Kotor Two, the best Star Wars game ever made. Okay. Well, hopefully, he did direct Kotor Two, the best Star Wars game ever made. But he doesn't work for Obsidian Entertainment anymore, so it's kind of a moot point. Give him a shot, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would definitely look at the uh, lore bible that he draws up. I would read his proposal. Uh-huh. Yeah, if we're the people in charge of picking the folks in charge of a Zelda game, when people bring their proposals to us, Chris Avion is one of the ones where we would actually open it and read it. <laughs> Whereas if it's like um, Kojima, we would give it to an intern to look at. Oh, no. I would give it to an intern to look at. I would... Look, burn it. No, look, I'll burn it for like Cliff Blazinski or some shit, okay? <laughs> that motherfucker can go. But Coach, hot takes. But that's not even a hot take. Cliff I don't Blazinski, know who Cliff... He made, uh, oh, he's made a lot of bad games in the past few years. The game you would know is Gears of War. Oh. He was behind that game, I think. And then he made a bunch of other stuff that was crap. And it turns out he's sort of a, he's a dirtbag. I'm going to say dirtbag. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, no, we we would burn it for the Blazinskis or the Dennis Dyaks, and uh, we would give it to an interns for the Kojimas, and we would personally read it for some other people. But uh, the ones that we would really like are the Splatoon team, Shigesato Atoy, and what was your first one? Sakurai. Sakurai. Yeah, Sakurai's a strong one. So yeah, that's that's. Uh, it, but again, um. All of these things are made by communities as much as they're made right. by individuals. Auteur directing doesn't really work in the context of how Zelda games are made just because of how big they are. But if these directors handled them and made it at the scale of their own normal work, then I think that could also be very interesting. I think so. Give Swery more people and more of a budget if you want to have Swery do it, though. We're not having no deadly premonition premonition maps here. Our one unescapable, unarguable, inarguable, anyway, you you can't argue with it, thing that has to go down is that you absolutely 
cannot have mechanics that get in the way of enjoyment of the game. Right. So no janky stuff. None. Just get out of our way. And we've got one more from Rob Million, which I will read. Did you ever hear the old theory of Grumble Grumble? In Ocarina of Time, A Link to the Past, and Legend of Zelda, there is a character that says this. And the theory goes that it was Mido. Following the years after the death of the Deku Tree, the Kokiri eventually turn into thieves you encounter in the Lost Woods in A Link to the Past, with the leader, who says the phrase Grumble Grumble, living in the tree stump where you find the heart piece by falling into the bushes outside. This leader is presumably Mido, still looking over the Kokiri. By the time of the original game, and after so many years without the protection of the Deku Tree, Mido and the rest of the Kokiri finally fall to the curse of the Lost Woods and turn into monsters. The Moblin, who you have to feed the meat to, is supposed to be Mido, who only says two words, the only memory he has of his former self, grumble grumble. This reads like one of those texts. <laughs> the, dark, the dark secret behind Rugrats that you didn't know. It's a fun it's a fun theory craft though. Yes, it is definitely fun, and I'm glad that we read it, and also it's horrible. Oh dear. It's not. I don't I don't like The Curse of the Lost Woods doesn't work that way. That just meant that you would die. You'd get lost and you would die. Yes. And then you'd become a Stalfos because you're dead. And there's ghosts in there, and they'll use your skeleton. And also the Kokiri are super not affected by... No, they're not. They just turn into little tree people, and then they're fine. And then they'll sell you an apple. They'll sell you one apple. For a couple of rupees. For a couple of rupees. They don't really need the rupees, but that's how commerce works, right? <laughs> and some of them don't care about uh, maintaining the illusion. You just lie down on the bed, and you go to sleep. It's a bed of leaves. He made it just for you. Oh. Oh, and then there's the one who picked all the mushrooms for you. And I'm going to say that Mito became that one. And Mito <laughs> chilled out a lot. Mito chilled out a lot. And then he went and he picked some mushrooms. They're uh, nutritious, delicious, a little suspicious, but never malicious. <laughs> That's Mito. He's not Grumble Grumble. You don't think that he's like the ginkgo one? Nah. No. Nah. Who would let Mito still be in charge? That's true. Mito's a they were jerk. ready to depose him. They were. There may have been a bloody coup, and we just never got to be privy to it. But, yeah, it's a fun theory. Monica, do you have a Zelda joke? We should probably make up a Zelda joke. Oh, we should probably make up a Zelda joke. Okay, uh, we can workshop this. We can work out the entire... We have the whole range of the entire series. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I got... Uh, yeah... Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, no, that's not gonna work. Okay. Uh, so, so these two Koroks are sitting in the Deku tree playing poker. Okay. And Link is on the other side of Hyrule, and he notices that there's a rock sitting on top of a hill. And this rock happens to belong to one of the Koroks. And as Link gets closer to the rock, the Korok is like, Oh man, Mr. Hero's almost found my rock. And the other Korok is like, What, are you going to just stay here? And the Korok who is getting up from the table, he says, Nah, I'd better leave. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> send, send, send in more uh, emails to the Book Medora Podcast at gmail.com. Can, can Korok sit? Shut up! <laughs> can Korok play poker? Stop it! <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs>